Like I said, stop to you once already. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the inaugural episode of Juicing the Big Screen. We, uh, this is a movies review podcast uh, hosted by the same two guys that host Juicing the Numbers, the 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 Papa Show of this show. This is the offspring of that that podcast. So if you're familiar with the other one, uh, welcome. You know these two voices well, and if this is your first time hearing us. Uh, I am one of the two hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm Corbin Heller. And uh, I am so happy, coming from the man who is always the one to fuck up words, that the first sentence of this inaugural podcast, Josh said inaugural, and that yep. I hopefully can hand over that title to Josh as we transition into this podcast. Inaugural is never a word I will pronounce correctly. Mm. I accept oh, wow. it and move on from it because it's one. Of, it's a word that I will never say correctly, and thankfully doesn't come up frequently. Right. <laughs> because I will never pronounce it correctly. By definition, um, it only ever happens once, so you don't have to use it that often. Yeah, one fucking hope anyway. Um, so yeah, well, welcome to the show. So if you uh, again, if if you if you're coming here from Juice the Numbers, you're familiar with how this works. Um, if you are not. Let me explain. Doesn't take a lot of explaining. It's a pretty self-explanatory fucking show. Um, <laughs> each week, Corin and I will each pick a movie. Uh, we will then both watch both of the movies, um, make up little reviews on them based on what we thought about them, and then we'll sit here and talk shit <laughs> for like an hour, and then ultimately give these movies a review uh, from one to five stars in our opinions. And then at the end of the episode, we will pick next week's movies, and then we get give ourselves a week to watch next week's movies. Um, yeah, Corbin, anything to add? I uh, I was trying to turn on my TV to check out HBO Max and bring up what we watched yesterday, and the mute button was being really laggy, and I was muting my mic so I could turn down the volume. And make sure I muted. And the second I turned my mic back on to speak, the volume just started blasting. Um, so yeah, that's you know how this podcast is going to go. It's great to have this uh, inaugural episode. Um, but yeah, I honestly forget what your question was now because I panicked about that. <laughs> it's <laughs> all good. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, let's oh, let's man. let's move on. There is um, absolutely no way we are going to get better at this. <laughs> I I choose to believe that we will just continue to find people who enjoy us fucking this up. And that way we're not getting better, but we're finding the right audience. So our, our moms, our moms are going to be our, our biggest. Oh, dude, I'm not even going to pretend like my parents listen to this. It's, 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 it's never happened. It's not going to happen. I'm not sure I need it to happen for myself. I think I'm okay with it not happening, but no one, no one I know, like when I talk to my friends about, about the podcast that, that we do, um, I always talk about it under the assumption that they do not listen to it. And I am continuously proved correct. Um, yeah, I think my mom almost in like 10 minutes of an episode once and she was like, Oh, that's nice, dear. And then that's, that was that, that's that story. Why are you both so angry? <laughs> uh all right so this week we watched uh all the president's men and the tale corwin where do you want to start this week um dealer's choice uh let's start on on a, on a positive note <laughs> let's start with all the president's men sure all right so 1976 all the president's men um written by uh based on the book by Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. Um, if we took civics in high school, we should all know those names. Um, they are the men who wrote the... As if you watch the movie, they're the men who wrote the story about uh, the Watergate scandal. Screenplay written by William Goldman, directed by Alan J. Pakula, uh, starring Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, Jack Warden. Um, it had an estimated budget of $8.5 million, and a cumulative worldwide gross of seventy point six million. That makes it a, a, a nice, good success there. 
uh, tagline. Do I have it? At times, it looks like it might cost them their jobs, their reputations, and maybe even their lives. It's a very long... T- it's not a bad tagline, but it's a very long tagline. Uh, it's not bad. Um, it, w- it won four Oscars on the back of eight nominations. It won for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jason Robards. It won for Best Writing, screenplay based on another uh, medium from William Goldman. One for best art direction and set direction for George Jenkins and George Jane's Gaines, and best sound for four people. Um, it was nominated for best picture for Walter Koblenz, best actress in a supporting role for Jane Alexander, best director for Alan J. Pakula, and best film editing for Robert L. Wolf. Corwin, what did you think of this movie? Yeah, I do want to say it's funny to me that you mention if you know anyone here took a. Uh, civics class, they should know you know who these guys are. I took many civics classes in high school. That was by far my favorite subject. Not once did we ever discuss this. Especially those two guys. Really? Yeah. Like Watergate was always something that was like, okay, this is Watergate. Reagan resigned. He's the only president to do that. But it never really dived into any of the specifics. Really what had happened other than, okay, they broke into the Watergate Hotel, which is just such a surface-level explanation of what happened for this entire thing. Um, and especially not who Bob Woodward and you know Bernstein was, Bernstein. Um, and it's disappointing, honestly, because it's so important. Oh yeah, and and uh, as we're going to get to, because it's the focus of the movie, the the, the seeing how it all unfolds um, as they find, you know, the base level pieces of information and then continuously dig down into it, like it really is as seedy as you could possibly imagine it being. I am getting increasingly, I don't want to say tired, but I don't like that we keep watching these, you know heavy political movies that are essentially just like a mockery of what's going on in today's society and how it's like, Oh, there is literally nothing changing. And it's, well, not, it's, not only that, but it's getting like, like the idea that if this was happening today, Richard Nixon would just say it's fake news. And then everyone who supported Richard Nixon would go, Oh, of course it is. He said so he denied it. So it's all good. And like, like, like this really shows you how much goes into reporting, like good, respectable reporting. It's like the Washington Post is like a a respectable publication. It's not some, it's not OAN or some shit like that. You know, like anyway. Um. So as Corwin said, this movie is about. Um. And I think as I also said during the show, it's 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 about Woodward and Bernstein like uncovering, um, all the details behind the Watergate scandal, um. And that, and as, as Corwin and I have talked about, <laughs> it's going to be so tough, in, previous pod, in the previous podcast about this, um, it's sometimes tough to talk about this type of movie where it's like, here is the plot, and now the movie is just going to guide you through the plot, because there's not like, there's no character development in this, which is fine, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, that's not the point of the movie, and it's a really fucking good movie, but like, it's not like we can talk too much about like, you know, how everyone's grown along the way. Or, or some non-plot-based shit because this movie is just the plot going forward, um, which I love, but like it, it makes this in some ways for me a little bit more challenging. Um, so instead, I want to ask you about um, just some, I guess, more upfront details. For, for me, this, the pacing of this film was everything mm-hmm. because here you have two dudes who are really just going on a ser- series of meetings phone calls and library trips um <laughs> which that <laughs> i understand is exceedingly reductionist um but it that's really all the movie is and right. it's fucking amazing because they give everything that they're doing they show the most important parts of what they're doing and they move on from it quickly enough that you are not getting bored sitting in a scene um and that you you also, but they're staying there long enough that you get a full idea of what's happening. Right. So, like, the biggest note I have on this, I don't have many notes because 
you know, usually it's technical stuff, story points, you know, things that you want to discuss, things that you liked. There's not a lot here because, again, it is a very, for, you know, quote-unquote simplicity stake, it is a simple movie. It is a very narrative, straightforward storyline. There's no, you know, obviously there's the twist and turns of a normal, you know, mystery being uncovered, but it's what it is. It's facts and information and how they are, like, achieving that information, how they are getting that. Um, and by all means, this should be a boring movie. It is two dudes sitting in a, you know, press room of a newspaper, sitting in a library, in a fucking dark, dingy garage, in people's living living rooms. There's nothing exciting about the setting or, you know, where these guys are, what they're doing. But the way they shot the movie adds that excitement and adds a beauty to it that I just loved. And you don't notice it at first because it is such a mundane atmosphere. But throughout, you are just looking at these shots. Like the one I love specifically was Woodward and Bernstein both typing away at their typewriters in an otherwise, you know, empty paper room. Uh, I don't know what you would call a the room of cubicles where a newspaper works, like where the people who work there work. Um, but it's just a TV going on in the foreground, showing, you know, the political news and these two guys just typing away, working hard. And by all means, that's a boring shot. But the way they shot it and the style, the, how it fits into the rest of the movie, it is beautiful. And I love that how they were able to achieve that with such simplicity. Um, I would say I would say the exact same thing about the shot where they're going through the library index cards in the library trying to find um I forget the name of the character, Henry um, it's so many names that Yeah, there's so I many names. Not. The the double H name, I forget Henry Hawkins or some shit like that. Um and like that that's it. All all it is, is 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 Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford sitting next to each other, like looking at like you know, I'm I don't know how frequently people go to the library anymore, but like those those little index cards that would go in the library books where they would write down the date they got checked out and any and names and all that, and just like pouring through boxes of them as the camera kind of like slowly like started really tight in and then just slowly kind of pans out, and it didn't sit on it for very long, and it was and it showed like like you know, just those old school kind of desk lamps and how big they were in the Library of Congress. And and it, it there wasn't any dialogue. There wasn't anything really happening. But it was... And it, it stayed there just long enough that you understand that this is some tedious fucking work that these two are doing. Um, and for some reason, I found that shot to be so fascinating. Oh, I agree completely. Um, it really... <sighs> I, I really don't want to keep talking about it just because it, it is as simple as saying, wow, they did a lot with not much and we should just applaud them for that. But that's just the way it is. Um, man, it's just the dialogue, the shot selection. It wasn't a whole lot. Like there's nothing inherently exciting about this. They just did everything well with what they had. And it resulted in, this movie tells a fantastic story about a wildly important moment in history that otherwise nobody would give a shit about because it's boring and they really just don't care about how the sausage is made. Yeah, I think I think this film shows I think it's so exceedingly well directed and well edited for for all the the these pacing and, and like technical reasons like i i don't, I don't want to just keep jerking off the pacing of this but like one of the things i've i heard scenes segments maybe uh that i, I i've been, been thinking a lot about is when dustin hoffman goes down to uh see the da of i think it was like miami dade um mm -hmm. and like he gets put in the the waiting room and apparently he had been there like all day and then he like says to the receptionist like look i'm gonna go stay at a hotel like here's my card just call me in the morning for whenever he's you know has time and then leaves and like fakes a phone call to the secretary so that she leaves and then he just goes back into the office to to have a ambush style meeting with with the the 
um, with with Ned Beatty. Uh, what's it? I don't know his name. <laughs> it's Ned Beatty. Um, and and then he like they argue a little bit, and then Ned Beatty gives him the files he was looking for, and he moves on. And that I could see how someone would try to like emphasize how long Dustin Hoffman had been sitting there for and how bored he was and how antsy he was to leave. But the thing is showing someone being bored sucks because then Mm -hmm. I'm bored. I don't want to watch Dustin Hoffman sit there all day. I would rather you tell me Dustin Hoffman was sitting there all day so we can move on with the movie. And then same thing with this whole bickering in the back office. Yes, you could have made a whole big thing between Dustin Hoffman and Ned Beatty about like, uh, you're supposed to make an appointment with my thing, with my secretary. He was like, I made an appointment with you and blah, blah, blah. And they did that for like a minute. And then he was like, all right, I'll give you what you what you came here for. And then they moved on. And that is so, because I, I understand everything that happened there. Mm-hmm. I understand the passage of time after being told it because at the outset, it didn't seem like so much time had passed. But you tell me that that much time has passed. I believe you and I understand it. You you tell me that uh, what Dustin Hoffman was there for and that he got it. I understand that they they they, they pack as much information into a scene as they possibly can without it being sloppy uh, or without it even really being confusing. It's not like there's any parts of this that you really have to parse out. Um, and no. then they just and then they move on from it. And it's so well fucking done. That was the first big note that I had on this was they did a a really exceptional job at presenting the important information to the viewer in a way where, by all means, this is a confusing story. You know, there are so many names that you wouldn't otherwise know, so many different roles that, you know, it would be hard to piece it all together if you weren't you know innately familiar with the inner workings of this side of politics or if you spent the kind of time digging into the histories and connections between all these people like Bernstein and Woodward did but the way they showed initially the information that you should know is when you know Woodward is on the phone early on he's taking notes for all these conversations and he's circling, underlining, crossing things out, emphasizing certain things, doodling, giving you a, an imagery for what this guy is, you know, what his role is, connection is. And you see what's important. You see what's not important. You see the connections being drawn with arrows and whatnot. And while it would be difficult to just listen in on that conversation, all like 15 conversations and keep everything straight because you can see it all drawn out on a piece of paper in front of you, you instantly know what's going on and you know what's important and what you should be remembering and what you can cast aside, essentially. I I wrote down the notebooks um, part as well because you're right. It's And it it kind of melds a couple of points that we've made. Not only is it um, does it make the shots more dynamic because now you're switching between uh, Robert Redford on the phone and Robert Redford's notebook. So you're visually looking at different things. Um, you also are once again packing information into a shot by doubling up on visual information and what's being said on the phone, auditory information. And again, that's just such a good way of doing it because it combines the fun of filmmaking. Wow, that's a neat looking thing. It's cool getting to see how Robert Redford is circling and crossing out and underlining and writing down. And I'm getting to double down on these names so that they're really drilled in my head. I'm doubling down on the information that's being shared over these phone calls. Like, it's also just a good way of passing along understanding and context for what these next several scenes are going to be about as. Hoffman and Redford continue this search. It's just so it's oh, it's just so well done. Um also this is just such a side note, it's not really a film n- note about the film per se, but like I just couldn't get over the fact this came out in 1976. <laughs> like right. Like for 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 historical context, and they show it at the end, Nixon resigned on August 8th, 1974. And this movie <laughs> this movie came out. Um, April 9th of 1976, less than two years later. What's even crazier 
is the book All the President's Men came out June 15th, 1974, two months before Richard Nixon actually resigned, which means that they probably sold, I don't know when the movie rights got sold or the book rights got sold to make the movie, but like so much of this was happening in the moment. Like there's such great perspective on this from something that happened so fucking recently. It's genuinely like startling. See, I'm more amazed they had enough information to not only finish writing the book, but like the book needs to get edited, printed, approved, like all the things that go with logistics, finalizing and printing a book for release probably takes more than two months. Yet I can't imagine the book was completed in, you know, its entirety before he actually resigned. It said it said published book was published two months before he resigned. Two months before? Yeah. Before? I thought you said after. No, no, no. Oh, before. Man. The book was published in June of 74, and Nixon resigned in August of 74. Holy shit. Right? Which means they basically finished writing the articles, which I believe came out in 73, and then probably went immediately into writing the book. See, that's the only thing I really, you know don't necessarily love about you know studying history is god it's so hard to keep like those like that context of time you know straight when it's 40 50 years ago how 60 days 40 days makes such a huge difference in the moment but looking back it all happened in the same you know quarter of a year where shit like you lose that impact of how that actually went down. I, 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 I fucking know, man. Um, <sighs> and, ah, yeah. All right. So one of the other things, and again, cause like, like we've been saying, it's very plot focused is not all too, too much to get into on it. So I, I'm, I was trying to think about other things. Um, the, the idea that, and again, to contrast this a little bit against modern politics, the idea that it wasn't just the assumption that Nixon did this uh, is interesting because it led them to be constantly surprised or at least taken aback by how far up the ladder mm-hmm. this all went. And that adds so Because like, it, it, it'd be a much different movie if it was assumed that Nixon did this and then they had to prove it. Like how right. I think those things would happen now uh, for one, given the president, and for two, given how much presidential powers have expanded post two thousand one, right? Um, so it because then it would be like, oh, we found it. Yes, it'd be more victorious. Where in their case, it was way more like, oh my god, like what? He, he yeah, and that subtle difference makes the discovery process so much more interesting as a viewer. Oh, completely. So it was fun, like getting to be on the same ride, because again, from like you're in my perspective, we're like we know these things happened. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know who the fuck uh, oh, Ken Dahlberg is. Like yeah. I still, I still am pretty fuzzy on it. Like two days removed from watching the movie, uh, just because of the vast quantity of names. But like seeing them react to being like, oh my god, it's it's so and so from the from the from the uh, committee to reelect. What? I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> no way! <laughs> it's, just, it's just a better way of watching a movie. Yeah. Oh, I, I get it. You know, it's one of those things where I just, uh, I don't know who any of these people are, and it made watching it very hard to keep straight. Very hard. How, uh, how different was it watching um, Dustin Hoffman be confident uh, hot shot go getter, but Carl Carl Bernstein versus meek and mild uh, guy from The Graduate. Uh, part of me is really glad that I watched them in such such short like proximity to each other because you got that like um, juxtaposition, and it was very very cool to see. I mean, I love Dustin Hoffman in this; he was fantastic. So um, good. God, I really just I wish I could go. Oh, I can, 
I plan to go back and watch the rest of his big movies to really just appreciate him more. Um, my note immediately after is Robert Redford was playing Robert Redford and it, it just works, you know? Well, you know, what's funny, uh, just, just to double back to the graduate, uh, Robert Redford was the original candidate to play, um, Dustin Hoffman's character in the graduate. I don't know how that would have worked. So, so he ended up getting turned down and, um, the the Robert was talking to the director. He's like, I don't, I don't like, like what what what's not working about it here? And um, the director looked at Robert Redford and he was like, Bob, have you ever struck out with a girl before? And Robert Redford goes, What do you mean? <laughs> and, and and the director goes, That's the problem, Bob. <laughs> and he, he he's, he's like, was apparently Robert Redford just like wasn't clicking with him. So the director takes him over to the mirror. And he, he, he points at him in the mirror and he goes, Bob, does this look like the face of a man who's going to have a hard time with women? <laughs> uh, you know what? I bet it's just because he didn't wash the mirror when he walked up to it. That's what he needed to do. That's that was the test. Yeah, yeah, truly. <laughs> that, that's all he had to do. Um, ah, fuck, I had another note. God damn it, what was it? That's what you wrote um, down. No, but it was something I had just thought about. Um, I did write down, holy crap, this movie is white um, because there is like no non-white characters in this movie. Um, Which, to be oh. fair, 1970s Washington, I imagine that's kind of how it was. Yeah, that's, that, that's the tough thing about it is like we're talking um, uh, politics in the 70s. Like, it probably was very white, but like... Mm-hmm. I don't know what what about it made made it just like click in my head like wow this is uh these are these are the only the only brown people we saw were some Hispanic people on trial I think like that was it um it was about Deep Throat and I had God, such an <laughs> so he did base it off of the porn or the the sexual act of deep throating uh, because porn uh, was becoming a bigger thing like like film industry porn was becoming a bigger thing in the seventies and he had like. The guy, the guy, Deep Throat had like watched a couple tapes and thought it was a good name. <laughs> um, so yes, those two things are very interrelated. <laughs> um, first off, those meetings. Oh my god, give me that! Shoot that shit in my fucking veins. Six days a week. Holy crap, those were so cool. Explain, huh? Explain, like what about them? Oh well, the visually speaking, with with the. The like weird like bluish tint of the light and all the shadows and the fact that like you had Robert Redford. There was that one shot of Robert Redford like walking through light and then literally like disappearing in the shadows as he went to go find Deep Throat, who was so shrouded in like a second cast of shadows you didn't see anything other than the the cigarette and oh him them first meeting and Deep Throat like lighting the cigarette to like signal to Robert Redford where he was was just so fucking cool like god it was that's the thing it was just so fucking cool those meetings you know what i mean it was a very well shot movie all around um and the other thing i found so fascinating about about the the deep throat aspect of it is that deep throat's identity wasn't revealed until like 2005 really yeah no like significant quantities of time passed between when this movie got made and when the identity of Deep Throat eventually did get revealed. Like, it was only relatively recently. Huh? Who was he? Uh, He was the assistant FBI director at the time, I believe. Wow, okay. Uh, Yeah, so I would imagine... So that's one of the things I was thinking about while I was watching this, because his identity didn't get revealed for 30 years after this movie got made. So obviously, Woodward and Bernstein didn't want to, like, out him. But at the Mm -hmm. same time... I would imagine that they like. I'm wondering were they like, all right, we got to base this guy off of the actual guy, or should we make this guy so unlike the actual guy that no one guesses who the actual guy is? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or just only ever show him in the dark, barely giving any information away, so nobody can tell, regardless. Right, but ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that. Uh. I loved this. I, I don't really have, I think, anything else too constructive to say. Is there is there any other uh, main points that you had for yourself? Uh, really, like, I guess I'll just give a very brief summary of it. Just 
it was a movie I very much enjoyed, but it just didn't have that X factor where, you know, I could be in the same boat and say, I love this. I like this movie. I liked it a lot. It was extremely well made and I have no complaints about it. It just didn't ever go over the top for me. So I'm going to give it a four out of five for the sole reason of I, I just can't give it like I have no complaints. There's nothing wrong with it that like if it was fixed or done differently, I could give it a four and a half or a five, but it just doesn't have that X factor for me to give it more. Um, before I uh, I give my own review, I will say Frank Willis is uh, sorry Frank Wills, is, um, who is the security guard that discovered the break in at at Watergate, um, mm -hmm. played the security guard who discovered the break in at Watergate in this movie. No, I'm I, kidding. No, no kidding. I love that. That's so fucking funny and cool. I love it. Um, so chances are that might be the most um uh well recreated scene in the movie just by virtue of that one fact. It was really <laughs> funny how he's like, "All right." You put your hands up, and then like six, five dudes just all stand up and just like, what the fuck? Uh, this, fun. yeah, super fun. I'm I'm gonna give this a, a fucking four and a half. Um, I, 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 you know, it's that that intangible core, and I have so frequently discussed in a podcast. If you haven't listened to, then you're not going to understand. Um, that like you know, can't quite put my my finger on it. That intangible, that gut feeling, whether it's subject matter or whatever the fuck the re the rationale behind my choices is, don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but I, God, I, I I can't think of a of a way for this movie to have been better, um, which is why I'm giving it that the penultimate review star rating. Um, but wow, is it fun? It moves so quickly. It's two hours and fifteen minutes. It goes by super fucking fast. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think for me, maybe if they incredible. go ahead, no, you, you finish up first. I oh, it's just like seeing, seeing not only these two actors in their prime, but these two actors in their prime getting to work together and be in so many of the same scenes together. So you're getting like a really aggressive amount of screen time between the two of them because they are the two vehicles that move the plot along. It's oh, that. Plus you get this concept of like, there's, the high crimes and misdemeanors aspect of like politics in Washington, the espionage as aspects of it with uh, the, the, the deep throat scenes. Like it's got like film noir concepts in it and like action movie concepts in it. Like it's, 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 I loved it. What were you going to say? Like the only thing that, you know, I wish was done differently where I think it could have been just a little better was maybe if they just kept going and just showed it as, you know, the conclusion of the investigation, you know, they kind of cut it off at a point where there was still more work they were doing. There was still more writing and, you know, digging in that they had to do before, you know, the Senate investigation started, but it kind of just cut off at least to me, seemingly randomly where, no, you're right. It ended, it ended very quickly. Um, and I just, I was waiting for that climax that, you know, that climax that happened in reality and it just kind of ended before I was satisfied. No, I, I, I agree. Um, and I think a big part of it is again, because of how tight together, like how, how close what the deep throat scenes just ended before I was satisfied. It just never reached that climax. <laughs> I fucking hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, and I, but what I'm saying, like, I, I think that that part, a big part of that is the fact that again, this movie came out less than two years from when Nixon himself actually resigned. Like, the book came out before Nixon resigned. It, uh, uh, like, it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, two years less than two years after Nixon had resigned. I think I said before by mistake. Like, like all this shit happens so close together that the fact that they do those typewriter scenes to fill in the the gaps at the end, I think, is more of a necessity than it was really like a choice, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get it. All right. All right. Then let's, uh, let's move on to our second film, the tale, uh, from 2018 written and directed by Jennifer Fox, starring Laura Dern, Jason Ritter and common. That's right. If you were wondering what's common been up to in the past three years, it's this, um, 
I don't think there's anyone that I care less about what they've been doing lately than Common. Yeah, I don't care either. Uh, I don't have an estimated budget or gross revenue, so I don't really or um or a cumulative worldwide gross. So not gonna bother looking it up, and <laughs> nor do I see a tagline. So fuck me. Um, it does have a single major awards nomination. It was nominated for one Golden Globe for Laura Dern Best Performance by an Actress in a limited series or motion picture made for television. Oh, because this is an HBO original. That's right. That makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. It is about a woman filming a documentary on childhood rape victims starts to question the nature of her childhood relationship with her riding instructor and running coach. Uh, Corwin, what did you think of this movie? I want to hear your opinion first. All right. That's very fair. This was my pick. Um, so I will start off by saying my oft I often choose films when I when I ch pick films I haven't seen I choose not to read what they're about and just w watch them. So I saw that this had been relatively well reviewed, um, and I went along with it. I didn't assume anything of what it's about, <laughs> and holy shit, does it take its fucking time telling you what it's fucking about? Um, I was not a fan of this movie. I think it's painfully slow. Um, like, to an extreme fault. Um, to the point where I thought I was done, and there was an hour left. Like, it is not. It is the exact opposite of all the President's Men in terms of pacing. And it sucks because these types of movies, I think, have a lot of value to the world. Because it's talking about very sensitive subject matter from a very in internal and meaningful place. but And that's why I feel bad shitting on it. Because, again, I think all of these types of movies have a lot of value. But I'm trying to approach this as a movie and not as a discussion on sexual assault. And as a movie, I fucking hated it. This is so goddamn awful. Um, and we'll get into more of the reasons why. But my, I'm probably mainly going to focus this on pacing um, because, wow, holy shit. This is an hour and 54 minutes, and all of this could have been done in 60 tops. Um, and they doubled that. It's, there's not a lot here for a movie. And somehow they decided to make this two hours long. Um, Corbin, you're up. I will definitely agree with two of those major points. Um, the pacing was, to put it mildly, pretty brutal. It was definitely a slow burn to begin with. There are definitely some slogs throughout. Um, and I will definitely agree the importance of this kind of movie. Um, that was definitely one of my bigger points, you know, when putting together my final thoughts was whatever your thoughts on the vivid nature of some of the scenes in this, which my God, it was almost unwatchable. Just yeah, those were tough. Comfortable it is to watch what is by all means a child rape scene, which in I, every, every I, way it is exactly a child rape scene with, you know, granted, they don't show the explicit act. They show you enough to be, I like, I was shoving my face under a pillow, like, during some of these scenes because I was so uncomfortable just watching something like that take place. Um, but it is such an important topic to both discuss and basically bring awareness to, you know, how just how necessary this is for people to realize, you know, the, the, the stakes of, and, you know, all of the impacts and how it affects the people involved beyond the act itself. Um, but man, I, I will say I really enjoyed this movie. I thought really? the storytelling aspect and how they basically set up this narrative with the essentially modern day 
the flashbacks and this almost imaginary fictionalized interview between the present character and the past selves of you know the people in their story just trying to reach the reality of the situation so the whole premise of the movie is this victim is remembering this situation this relationship with you know a 40 year old man and his significant other his partner who are both in positions of power responsibility and respect for this 13 year old girl she remembers it one way looking back and it's her piecing together the truth of what really happened and how it happened. And the way they did it, I thought was incredibly unique and effective. And I loved it. I really did. I, I will say I did very much so enjoy some of those types of choices. I really enjoyed how the interview questions, uh, responses would change in tone as the film went on. And Laura Dern in present day got a better scope for this, for the memories surrounding this point in her life. I and did very much so enjoy that. Especially how they would show a flashback from her memory, her perspective. And then as she gains more information about how it actually happened, they would reshow that memory, that flashback with the correct perspective or information and how drastically it changes in both tone and response. I want to like, it's, it's so hard to explain without watching it and without, you know, basically just explaining everything that goes on. But the first time they do it with, you know, having her being a 15 year old, you know, young woman post puberty, you know, coming into her own, you can see how she would, you know, look back and say, oh, that was a consensual, you know, partnership, you know, relationship I had with these people. I was coming into my own. I was able to make my own decisions. Granted, at 15, that's still very much on the young side of having that mental capacity. But as soon as they change the age to no, you were actually 13, how drastically that change affects the entire situation, the entire tone, your entire feelings towards, oh, no, this is an utterly disgusting act now. There's no consent here. Um, was incredibly impactful. And that's why I'm saying this movie should have been like 60 minutes because there were a lot of good choices in there and I really liked a lot of the pieces of setup. But holy shit, they take so... So, like, I kept writing down uh, uh, time codes and the fact that I still didn't know what was happening in the movie. Like, what the plot of the movie was. Like, they didn't get to the the first, I think, blowjob scene, which, wow, that was a fucking aggressive. Um, that scene was, like, oh, I think, like, an, 55 minutes in? Something like that. Like, it was really far into the movie. And my problem is, like, I, at a point, I got where that's that's where they were going. I think around the 40, 45-minute mark, I figured this is where the movie was going. Um, but you shouldn't take 45 minutes to get into the movie. I understand the idea behind setup. But holy shit. That's so much time that was just unneeded. And they didn't really do anything with it. Those first 45 minutes, as best as I can recollect, was Laura Dern in, I think, India, uh, interviewing mm -hmm. women on sexual assault. And then her and Common being like domestic partners. Um, her Common getting some didn't stuff need to be in this movie. Oh that my God, Common did not point. need to be in this movie. None of that needed to be a part of this. No, and, it, and he was awful. So, like her having that, like, like misrepresentation and just like basically blinders and bias towards what actually happened, and like anyone else outside would be like, "Girl, you're fucking insane!" Like that was rape. You could have had that with like her mother, who was already a character who already had a major role. You didn't need Played to have by a real actress relationship in there. No, God, no. It was, oh, ugh. yeah, common. 
And the and the other problem with it being like literal actual common is that every time he was on screen, I was like, that's just common. That's common. Like every time Ellen Burstein was in this movie, I was like, I was like, oh, that's her mom, because yeah. that's the quality of actress of Ellen Burstein. But like, <laughs> like every time Common was on screen, I was like, you're just fucking, you're Common. Like, like get out of here, Common. This isn't your movie. Um, it. <sighs> I will say like, though. So like, the, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. The initial pacing of everything. The like that first forty minutes, the you know the setup you were talking about. Maybe it was just me, but the second they showed her and showed the flashback transitioning from a fifteen-year-old to a thirteen-year-old, and why the mother was freaking out immediately, I was like, "Oh, this is going. This is where this is going." And you don't know the scope of which until that first scene, fifty-five minutes in. But you like for me at least, it was like, "Oh, this is." this is what happened. There was something sexual involved because that is, you know, why that would be so important. That being said, though, I really don't mind that it took so long to build up to giving you that explicit knowledge of how far this went because it it built up the importance of it. You know, it built up the, the relationship and you know, you start with that early on and it's like, okay, whatever. Like, it doesn't have that buildup where you see her and how she is basically, you know, misconstruing what actually happened and her, oh, what's the right term for it? Basically just, you know, misrepresentation of how everything happened, what everything was. And you're questioning, like, what was this actually? Like, what is this? Like, we don't know... We don't have this innate knowledge. We don't have any firsthand knowledge. We're trying to piece together ourselves, the viewer. What was this situation? Was it nefarious? Was it something that was actually okay? And it was just a, a extremely odd situation. You're still trying to piece it together. And then they hit you with it. And I didn't mind that. I thought that was a, a perfectly fine way to express that story. Um, but I could definitely see why people would not be a fan. Because, again, the pacing was disastrous. And, and I, I, I want to just issue another caveat. I, I, you know what? Let me, let, me put it, let, me, let me try to put it this way. This film, I think, would be perfect for a... Uh, I was going to say classroom discussion, but, but maybe overall just like discussion, like some structured conversation about uh not just sexual assault but like you know being a specifically a survivor of it and and how it impact like like the the main themes of this film feel like this film would be a perfect centerpiece for how to talk about this within the confines or w within the parameters given to you by this film because it touches on so many aspects it touches on how it affected her as a child how it's currently affecting her as an adult the idea of repressed mm -hmm. memories and and a return to self-discovery of past and i think all those have a lot of value and i think chopping it up so that you have segments that of the film that deal with it that you can then use as uh, as jumping off points for discussion i think are perfect and i think this film does a good job with that my real issue is just it just like the horseback riding scene it, in there it's so long the the one where um she was doing a, a riding thing for like all the, i think all the parents were there for that one oh, and yeah, it, the it's, competition. Like a, it's like a five minute scene and i'm yeah. sitting there like i don't I, I get it man i get you were at horseback riding camp mm -hmm. like and at that point we're like in the middle of the whole like I'm being statutory raped as a kid. Like, yeah. and it, it, it just, the significance of the actual competition part of it. I just, I didn't care. I'm like, and, I, and it's tough. Cause like, I get that. Like she's, there's a picture trying to be painted of the full scope of who this girl is at, at 13. And part of that is this balance between, I'm at horseback riding camp because this is something that like I wanted to be doing, and also I'm being statutory raped. And like I, I, I get that there is this full scope trying to be shown, but at the same time, like 
I maybe it is, uh, and, you know I'm probably speaking a lot to like who I am as a movie viewer. Um, is you know I'm sure this is mostly me specifically, but like once we've entered into like the serious heavy part of the film, spending like five minutes showing the girl riding on horseback, I'm like, oh my god! Like I would just want to know if everything ends up being okay. Like I I can't put my attention into the horseback riding thing because I'm worried about what's going to happen when she gets off the fucking horse. Right. Like it, it, it made it so odd to watch because I wanted it to keep moving because I'm like scared and it kept going to scenes that like, just, I just couldn't put my energy in to care about. Yeah. Uh, that really is the only complaint I have about just how much unnecessary fluff and filler was in that movie for seemingly no, you know, productive reason. Yeah, and I I would say that's really my only complaint too, and maybe I am just all about the pacing. Maybe that's who I am as a person and what led to to my relatively intense dislike of this. Um, Because I have so much appreciation for it and i think part of this comes from so this this was made you know written directed by and based off the life of jennifer fox um who is a documentarian and that's one of the things that's shown at the beginning scenes when laura turns in but again what i think is india um and it feels very like documentary style with a lot of those things but the problem is that docu it's not narrative enough in the 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 like pieces of life scenes where it's like i i can understand a situation where this helps tell the story but i don't think it's doing that actively enough to warrant it being here especially not for the length of time that it is and Mm -hmm. that i think is the big crossroads of the film and again like this is very much so who i am as a movie viewer but when you have when i have to sit through big long stretches of time where the plot isn't being advanced and there isn't something obvious being shown with growth or self-realization or self-actualization or any of those types of things my i go i it's, it i'm like i check out i just absolutely check out um so i'm at a weird point where like i love certain parts of this movie but I had a hard time getting through all two hours of it without being upset. And not for the upset reasons the movie wants you to be upset about. But I was also upset about those. Because who wouldn't be? Who who can't be? Oh, God. If you don't watch this movie and just get furious at it uh, because, of, because of the very real situations it's showing you, I don't understand who you are as a person. It's it's infuriating to watch. Um, it was for- one of those things where watching this, like the scenes are so boring, and also there are scenes that are so unwatchable. Like I, I can't do awkward situations in movies. I have to look away. It's a crutch. I just I can't do it. It like it hurts me to my core. Like watching truly awkward scenes in like movies and TV. This is like that turned up to a billion. So I just went on my phone, just trying to distract myself from it. Um, and so I just was like, all right, went on Instagram. And there, you know, obviously being Instagram in the summer, there are some images on there that are suggestive in nature. And it's like, it was repulsive just looking at them with the juxtaposition of what was going on on the TV behind my phone that I wasn't even watching. Like, I just couldn't even have those being, you know, anywhere close to my head at the same time it was oh i just pedophilia is one of those things where it shouldn't be something where it's like oh you understand where they're coming from at least i don't even get i can't it's yeah it's i i appreciate so much that they were as vivid with it as they were so that there was no room for romanticization of anything like there's yeah there's no room for you to be like uh, oh, she like really wanted it or was okay with it or like she had a good time or like any of the bullshit justifications that could be thrown around about it. It was 
uncomfortable to watch because of how terrible it was. And that's important to have. And holy shit, did it make me uncomfortable to watch because it's supposed to be. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure I have anything really left to say. Um, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I've I've tapped out. <laughs> this is a wild first episode of this show. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's only gonna go downhill from here. Or up I promise. I, I promise the mo- <laughs> I promise the movies we watch aren't usually like this heavy. Yeah. This was a because I saw when I when I when I looked it up, I saw that it was listed as like drama thriller, and I was like, oh, cool. Like I want to watch Laura Dern. Like have to. I thought it was gonna be about ghosts. This is called like the tale. And it was like a thriller, and I was like, "All right, cool. Let's let's get into some shit." And then it was not about go. I'm gonna be honest. I just can't stand Laura Dern anymore. After Marriage Story. No, after Star Wars. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Like I didn't care for her role in Marriage Story. Like I was blown away that she got nominated for an Oscar for it. Wait, did she win the Oscar for it too, or was that um, the Golden Globe? You're saying it, and we're both thinking it. So she probably did. Regardless, like I granted, I know I am such a biased, crotchety Star Wars fan that like she did uh, win the Oscar. God, whatever. I didn't think it was that great of a role. Um, and I just I can't look at Laura Dern the same way you look at Common is how I look at Laura Dern. It's Laura Dern, it's not the character. Um I don't know. It's just I know that's a me issue. But I just can't seem to get over it. Understandable. All right, give me. Do you want to give a rating or review? Or do you want me to go first with that as well? Uh, I'll. You know, I said what I thought. Uh, at the end of the day, as much as the pacing sucked, the storytelling, the creativity with how they did it, you know, the movie itself, I thought was phenomenal. So I can't give it a perfect score, but God, I, I'm giving it a four and a half. I really, oh, wow. really like this movie. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a three because as much as I really dislike the pacing and I've discovered, I guess, by watching it and talking about it, how important that is to me as a movie viewer, I do really like a lot of the choices they made with how they presented information. I thought it was super creative and interesting. And again, I think this is a really important story. This this is this is a a a, a value. Like, I'm not disappointed. I watched this, even though I didn't like it very much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still yeah. glad I watched this. Um, and I think anyone who watched it would get value out of watching it, whether you like it as as a movie or not. Um, so I still want to give this a, a an above. If we treat 2.5 as average, I still want to give it an above average score. So um, I'm going to settle it in on three there. Um, and yeah. That's it. Yeah. That, that's Gosh. that on that. What's your movie for next week? Oh, shit. Oh, that's right. Every time. Um, Every I, time. No, no, no. I picked it out this time. I picked it out this time. I've got a movie. Um, I think I think it's going to... It is. It could not be... You're stalling as you're scrolling through Netflix trying to find a movie. I'm not. I am not. I, it, it could not be less similar to, to the movie that I just picked. I'm going to pick 1990s House Party. House Party. Okay. Another I one I haven't seen. I actually have not seen this either. So, for the listeners who are just getting into this uh i have a list of movies i keep on my phone all of which i want to see all of which i want to talk about and because i'm too indecisive to pick one myself i have josh pick a random number and decide for me so josh pick pick a number between one and 36 this list just keeps growing and we just are not watching them quick enough 11 11 okay shot caller Shot color. Oh, you finally picked one I don't know. I'm going to be honest. I put this on the list. I don't remember what it is. Shot color. It's from 2017. Is it starring? Oh, it stars that guy. The one from from the show. Nikolaj Calderwalder. Calderwalder? That's not a real name. Coster Waldo. 
That's even less of a name. All right, cool. All right. So, anyway, what is, what is this movie? We'll figure it out. So that's Corwin's pick, 2017 Shot Caller. It appears to be available on Netflix. My pick is 1990s House Party. It's available on HBO Max. Um, so if you want to watch those movies by next week, go ahead. If you don't feel like it, don't fucking care. <laughs> be prepared to have them spoiled anyway. <laughs> um, we're going to be setting up um, uh, social media and a Gmail account for the show. We haven't done it yet, so I don't have anything to promote with that. Um, this is this show is a derivation of Juicing the Numbers. If you want to listen to sports talk um, from us, same two guys, check out Juicing the Numbers. Uh, we'll have fan engagement via Twitter and Gmail at, at some point uh, by the time the next episode drops. But uh, until next Tuesday... Uh, I don't want to say y'all have a go because that's what I always say in Juice the Numbers and I want this to be different. It can't be the same show. So, Alright uh, guys, y'all have a good one. Fuck you, Corwin. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, see, see, uh, see you guys next Tuesday. Oh, we need to work <laughs> on that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>